It's time to raise your voice. It's time to be heard. Because everything counts. Everything matters. Good news. Christian values. Alabama's Christian Talk Radio. With Greg Davis. Priority Talk. Hey, hey, welcome to the second hour of Priority Talk Radio. Greg Davis is out for tonight. Nate Williams is in. That is I. We have Stuart in the studio. Y'all, for the second hour, we're talking ministry and culture. Make sure to check out our website, PriorityTalkRadio.com. Call in, 205-941-1011. And also, you can text in to that very same number. Text comments, questions, all of it. It's all the same number now. We're very happy to report to you. It's all the same number. Call in and text in. We want to hear what you have to say. Do people still need to send PTR to that number? Now, okay, they can to join our list. So yes, you can still text Mm -hmm. PTR and you'll join our text list. Or if people just text us in general, we'll then get to that next step and we'll we'll message them to see if they want to do it. So we'll do it both ways. Either way will work. Uh, Friends, we want to hear your thoughts. For this second hour, we have a wide variety of topics, ministry and culture. We're talking aging in the church and what we can do to avoid it. Now, when I say that, When I say that, I'm not saying old people are bad. Old people are wonderful, elderly. There's wisdom and grace and beauty, and I love it. But it's a problem when our median age is older because that means we're not handing the baton off to the next generation. So we'll talk about aging in the church. Uh, We'll talk about the dangers of evangelism. Sometimes we become, uh, I I guess— we become kind of lulled into a sense of complacency because we have it easy here in the West, in America, but also in other parts of the world. You can uh, be harmed for sharing your faith. We'll share a story there. And then finally, we'll uh, we'll get to a story about Dennis Prager, and he makes an excuse. He tries to defend pornography and marriage, and it's just sad. We'll talk about that a little bit later. So that's what we have to look forward to in the second hour. But first, aging in the church. There's an article in Christianity Today titled, Our Aging Politicians Are a Warning to the Church. And the story goes, uh, this is the author speaking, sitting in the coffee shop, I overheard two women at the next table talking politics. I expected to hear the typical red versus blue partisan talking points, but I was wrong. They were talking about age. I don't ask for much, said one woman with a sigh. I just hope whoever's hand is on the Bible at the end of it all isn't wearing a medic alert bracelet. I don't know whether these women were Democrats, Republicans, or Independents. They didn't give away who would get their votes. They were just lamenting the fact that the front front runners of both major parties are hovering somewhere around 80 years old. By the end of the next presidential term in 2028, current President Joe Biden, who announced his re-election campaign this week, would be 86, and Donald Trump would be 82. The woman sighed again, asking, don't we have anybody younger than these two? 
Her question applies to far more than a presidential campaign. Democratic senators are, t are concerned about the prolonged absence of 89-year-old Senator Dianne Feinstein, some of them speaking on background about what they perceive as her cognitive decline. Chuck Grassley, a Republican from Iowa, a dean of the Senate who was reelected in 2022, is also 89. And anyway, so it goes on to say that there's a problem when we're not willing to hand the baton off to the next generation. Part of it is ego. Part of it's ego. We think we're so important. Nobody else could do as good of a job. Now, politics, sure. But also this applies to the church. That friends, one of my worries is not that we have elderly in our churches. That's wonderful. That's great. We need intergenerational churches where the young are with the elderly. And we see the wisdom and the beauty of a well-lived life and faith with Jesus. But the problem is with when all of the power, the decision-making, the policy-making is with the elderly. That means we did not do a good job of handing the baton off, that we did not do a good job of training up the next generation because we have to hold on to the power. We have to hold on to the power. And, uh, it, and so that's ego, that Jesus is not reliant on any one of us, that none of us, no matter our age, are so important that, man, if I'm not in power, Jesus wouldn't know how to run his kingdom. That's not true. Y'all, there is, is there's something concerning here. Are we mentoring and discipling and evangelizing the next generation? Or are they gone? When the boomers and the Gen Xers eventually move on from this life, and they've built a lot of institutions, a lot of schools, colleges, universities, seminaries, there's a lot of old money. They've done well in certain respects. Now, I say they because I'm in my mid-20s, so I'm not a boomer. They've done real well. But are we preparing the way for the next generation? And I think churches need to start internship programs. I think we need the older generation. Uh, if you're in your 50s and your 60s and your 70s and your 80s, are you mentoring people younger than you? Because there, it, there's concern there that the best people to run our nation, is it Joe Biden who will be 86 at the end of it all? President, uh, former President Trump, who I think if he was elected, he'd be, what, 82 or something? I think I just read that. Is that the best we have to offer? That's deeply concerning. And if that's a reflection on our politics... We can also see the same thing in our churches. Y'all, there's going to be a scary drop-off when this generation passes away. I say, like, this older generation passes away. A lot of the money is going to be gone. I think uh, there was a school, I'm trying to remember, I think it's the King's College in New York. I believe, I'm, I'm trying to remember. That recently, one of their, it was either a millionaire or billionaire donor, passed away. They relied on him for a lot of their money. And now he passed away. And I think they're closing, or at least they're on the brink of closing. If they can't figure it out, they'll close. Or maybe, again, it's already in the works. I'm not sure. I think it was the King's College in New York. That's just one illustration that as the millionaires and the billionaires pass away, and if our institutions are so reliant on, on money coming from different sources, y'all, 
we're going to have to start over from less. Now, part of that's okay. We'll have to rethink education. We'll have to rethink seminaries and what that looks like. I, I, I like centralized seminaries. I like the, you know, you have Liberty, Grand Canyon. You have different seminaries. I, I came from Beeson Divinity School of Sanford University. You have Fuller Theological Seminary. You have, you have a lot of these schools that serve a great purpose. But, but. Now we might have to consider, what about having seminaries from our local churches? What about county seminaries? Where let's say you have a few churches that uh, have some resources. What about county seminaries where your goal is to serve the pastors and the young people up and coming in your local area? And maybe you don't have massive budgets. That's okay. Do you have a classroom? Do you have some books in your library? Well, great. Do you have some pastors that can also, have, uh, that can also teach or elders? Great, that's all you need. We we might have to reimagine what education looks like as as some as some of the old money goes away. But y'all, these are just things we need to think about. Are we training up the next generation because right now there's going to be a precipitous decline coming up soon. Our churches are aging, just like our politics are aging. Our nation is aging. Let's be honest. The Western world is aging because our birth rate is, is really low. So, y'all, we need to get younger, and that means evangelizing. That means thinking outside of the box. That means loving. That means serving. That means training, mentoring, discipling. Let's get after it. What are your thoughts, y'all? 205-941-1011. We're on Mondays through Fridays, 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. That is a two-hour show. So today we're going till 7 o'clock. If you miss anything, check out our podcast, Priority Talk. It's on all the major podcast carriers. Y'all will be right back. Priority Talk. Greg Davis here, and I want to remind you of Priority Talk's longest-running advertiser, and that's Today's Family Dentistry, your friendly dental practice conveniently located in downtown Coleman. Make your appointment to see Dr. David Kim, Dr. Key Tan, or Dr. Stephanie Young, along with an experienced and certified team of dental technicians, along with a friendly staff, I might add, who serve both children and adults with a wide range of dental services. That includes general and restorative care, along with the cosmetic enhancements to meet all of your family's dental needs. Today's Family Dentistry accepts Medicaid for children under 21, Blue Cross Blue Shield All Kids, and most commercial insurances. Give them a call today and make your appointment, 256-739-3337. That's Today's Family Dentistry located in downtown Coleman. Call today and make your appointment, 256-739-3337. Today's Family Dentistry in downtown Coleman. Hey, Priority Talk listeners. Care to make a quick comment or ask a question for Greg on the air? Send the code PTR to the number 205-941-1011 to join the show's text line where you can communicate with Greg during the show. That's 205-941-1011 and send the letters PTR. Thanks for listening. This is Dr. Michael Brown. You're listening to Priority Talk with Greg Davis. Welcome back to Priority Talk Radio. Greg Davis is out for tonight. My name's Nate Williams. We have Stuart in the studio. 
And as we head towards 6.30, we'll be talking about how to how to guard against becoming a fossil or a monument. Think about it. What, what is a fossil? What is a monument? It's something that it's in the past. That organism, it celebrates a person or I guess a fossil. You'll have fossils of various things. Uh, you know, just it's dead. It's done. And now that is a relic. So how do we prevent churches from becoming fossils or relics or monuments? Well, we plant churches. This is an article from the Gospel Coalition titled, How Do Church Networks Cultivate Renewal by Planting Churches? Years ago, this is the author, I read Alonzo McDonald's chapter in the book, No God But God, where he introduced the idea of a ministry life cycle. I, uh, when I adapt McDonald's life cycle concept to teach about a ministry shelf life, I use the five M's, minister, ministry, movement, machine, and monument. Gospel movements typically begin with an individual minister whom God calls. Through a communication gift and the clarity of a compelling vision, the leader catalyzes gospel activity. Like a tractor beam, people are drawn to him and the individual multiplies himself. He plants or cultivates growth in a church. The minister has become a ministry. The person leads a people. And a unifying gospel causes uh, ca uh, cause inspires and uh, coalesces their energy. Over time, that group's synergy can even kindle a movement. A single church can birth a network, partnership, or denomination. It's fresh and exciting, but as this growth comes and time passes, the need to organize arises. Authority must be mapped, beliefs defined, and culture codified. Vital steps towards institutionalizing must, take uh, must be taken to protect the quality and sustainability of the movement. Sadly, if leaders don't work hard to cultivate ongoing ministry life, the movement can become a machine. And it's a machine when you just go through the motions. And uh, let's see, uh, this is the machine stage when the organic is organized right out of the ministry, when mechanization devours dynamic life. Institutionalism occurs whenever a ministry or organization begins to exist more for those it employs than for those it serves. Your institutions, remember a movement, eventually it slows down. It's what happens when a movement gets big. It becomes an institution. Uh, but it, it starts to become a machine when the institution is designed to protect power, the leaders, the people at the top, more than those it serves. And then when it becomes that part, when it's just a machine going through the motions, there's the final stage, which is monument. When a machine runs too long without the fuel of renewal, what was once a movement, it's fresh and exciting, grinds to a halt and becomes a shrine to a former period in the organization's life. I think with a lot of denominations and older churches, uh, we see that in Europe, a lot of monuments, a lot of churches that are now dead that become hotels and bars and entertainment whatevers there are monuments of a time gone by because the institution eventually became all about preserving its own power 
instead of setting a vision, a vision for renewal. So what does that look like for the church? Renewal begins, going back to the article, with remembering the gospel and depending on God for pra- in prayer. But we can't stop there. A key organizational habit that pushes partnerships toward renewal and away from institutionalism is multiplication. Even in a fallen world, healthy organisms multiply. God designed it this way from the beginning. In Genesis 1, God multiplied his image by creating man and woman. Then he commanded our first parents to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then you see in the New Testament, the Great Commission. You see Paul's commitment to multiplication through his various missionary uh, jerseys. Wow. Journeys. Paul went along and he planted churches. He trained leaders. He sent Timothy and Titus out and they set elders and deacons. And it was all about multiplication, multiplication and church planning. And so that's what I think churches need to look to. Does our church, does your church have a multiplication mindset or has it become a machine that's just all about keeping going what's been going, having programs for program's sake, having salaries for salary's sake, just to prop itself up? Eventually, eventually, the, the minister that inspired a ministry that inspired a movement that is now a machine, if you keep going in that direction, it will become a monument, a relic. Life will have left. Life will have left. And so just look around, look at your denomination, look at your local church. Are you heading towards becoming a monument? Now, to be fair, monuments do serve their purpose. But they also remember dead things and dead people. So we want to have monuments in some ways. Uh, I want to be careful because I can stretch the analogy too far. But you look at denominations uh, that are declining, people who have passed away, historical figures. They do serve their uses. We can remember the good things and we can remember the things that they did well. But remember that we don't want the movement that we're a part of now to become a monument. We want it to be continually renewing. We want it to be refreshed and invigorating. We want there to be energy, youth. We want development training, multiplication. And with churches, with churches, what that looks like is multiplication, church planning. I'm all about church planning, missionary sending. I'm all about it. And so the question to ask is, is that what our local church is doing? Is that what your local church is doing? I think all churches need a missions team in some form or fashion. And in uh, my local church, uh, ours is called the Global Outreach Team or GO Team, Global Outreach GO, uh, the GO Team. And what that does is sometimes churches and and this isn't necessarily uh, meant in a bad way, but we kind of get focused on the day-to-day stuff, right? All right. Okay. We want to take care of the injured and the ill. We have hospital visits. That's very necessary. We have the preaching of the word. That is vital. We need the word to be preached. The giving of a communion, a baptism. We want to, uh, those things to always be happening continually. Uh, Let's see, what else do churches do? You know, even like church leadership meetings, you have elders meetings, you have staff meetings. That's necessary, too. You got to keep the local church going and you need to have vision and all that. But what a missions team can do is kind of bring 
an outside perspective, what's happening outside of a local church, uh, church's buildings, wall, walls? What's happening on the outside? What's happening all around the world? So, for example, on the other side of the break, I'll be talking a little bit about the dangers of evangelism. Uh, how in some other countries, whether uh, Uganda, uh, there's Middle East, China, other parts of the world, that evangelism is dangerous. And sometimes when we're at La 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 in our fat and happy place here in the U.S., we can kind of forget about what's going on around the world. And I think a missions team at your church can kind of help to get you to see the big picture. I'm also all for church planning. Now, not all churches have that mindset. And I, I get that. Church planning can be scary. It takes resources, training. Where do you even start? But I think churches need to be planting churches. That looks different for other people. There are some people with church planning, they're like, okay, before you plant a church, you need a large building. You need a million dollars in the bank account. You need everything to be a slick production professional with a professional band and everything needs to be working from day one, a media campaign, marketing. That's what you need. Other people are like, you take one person, you send them out. Look, you're trying to plant a church. You got no money in the bank account. You got no building. You got diddly squat. You got nothing. But that's all that's needed for church planning. So people have different philosophies and you have everything in between. But y'all, the important thing in my mind is that we do it. We have uh, so, so make sure your church has a missions team. Uh, there are a lot of local uh, ministries you can support, a lot of national ministries. I think local, for me, that would be Coleman. National, for me, that would be the U.S. Global, and for all of us, that's the world. That's how I'd go about it. But anyways, friends, we don't want our churches to become monuments of a of the glory days gone by. We need to be continually multiplying, training up the next generation, involving the older generation. Y'all, when you get older, you're not on the sidelines. You thought you had it easy if you're getting older. No, you're still in the fight. You're still in the fight. So we need you mentoring, discipling, training, passing on your wisdom to the next generation. Y'all, this is WXJC Radio Priority Talk. I'm Nate Williams. Uh, make sure to check out our website, PriorityTalkRadio.com. Follow us on social media at Priority Talk. You can see everything that we're up to. Make sure to download our podcast, Priority Talk. It's on Apple, Spotify, and elsewhere. Uh, Y'all can text in 205-941-1011. That is now our text number. So make comments, ask questions. We want to hear what you have to say. We have a break coming up. We'll be right back. This is Greg, and I want you to know about my friend Jeff Harding and Alabama Reliable Roofing. Your local roofing expert since 1998, Alabama Reliable Roofing provides residential and commercial clients with exceptional roofing services. Jeff and his experienced team are well-equipped to provide repairs and installations of shingle and metal roofs. Look, I know the importance of a roof and that it's one of the biggest investments you make in your home, place of business, or church facilities. Alabama Reliable Roofing understands this as well and has the experience to work with your insurance company in case of storm damage. So whether your roof has suffered from storm damage and needs repairs, or it just may be time for a new roof, you need an inspection to determine the next steps. Company owner Jeff Harding is waiting on your phone call and will be personally involved with every job. Call him at 205-369-9630 for a no-obligation conversation and a free estimate. Look at their work on the Alabama Reliable Roofing Facebook page and then call Jeff at 205-369-9630. 
Alabama Reliable Roofing, 205-369-9630. And now, back to Priority Talk with Greg Davis. My life be like... Welcome back to Priority Talk Radio. Greg Davis is out for tonight. I'm Nate Williams. We have Andrew in the studio. Very thankful for Andrew, making sure everything is going good there. And what are we talking about for this last half hour as we head towards 7 o'clock? We're going to talk a little bit of evangelism. And sometimes in the West, we get a little lulled to sleep. We think of evangelism as telling people about Jesus, and that, it, to be fair, that's what it is. We think of the gospel. We think of maybe knocking on doors or handing out tracts or maybe your friend's going through a tough time and they need hope, so, so you share about your relationship with Jesus. And all of those things are true. But the reason why I say we can get lulled into sleep is, number one, oftentimes— we don't do it because we're comfortable. We don't want any awkward conversations. But also, we don't recognize that we don't see the risk involved that's in other parts of the world. So, for example, there are jobs in the U.S. where if you share your faith, they would consider that inappropriate. They might fire you. Okay, fair. Fair enough. But for the most part, you don't have to fear for your life. That's not something that you have to really consider, of course, there are extremes. I remember I interviewed someone about a book they just wrote about Christian martyrs in the U.S. and all around the world. And so there are martyrs in the U.S. It does happen. But by and large, for you and me, if you're in the South, that's not something like life risk, risk of death. That's not really something we think about. So I'll be sharing the story about someone in Uganda is kind of a little bit of a wake-up call that in some areas of the world, sharing your faith can be a death penalty. I'm thinking of maybe some parts in the Middle East where we really don't consider that much here in the United States if that's where you're at, but it is something real. So this is from the Christian Post. The title is Christian College Student Murdered in Uganda for Sharing the Gospel with Muslims. Nairobi, Kenya. A Christian college student was killed in northern Uganda on April 14th for sharing about Christ with Muslims, a fellow student said. Jeremiah Mwanga, a second-year student at the Uganda Christian School of Professionals in Lira, northern region, was killed in his room at the school in... All right, some of these names I'm not even going to pronounce because I don't want to make myself sound sillier than, sillier than I already do because I mispronounce American names. Andrew, isn't that sad? I mispronounce American names. Anyways, at the school, uh, a certain area, uh, he was 24. Mwanga was a native of, a, again, a certain area of the country, eastern Uganda, where the Muslim student at the school charged with killing him also lived. Jeremiah complained about messages from one of the students threatening to kill him for misleading Muslims by preaching to them the gospel of Christ, as well as converting them to the Christian faith in the school, a friend of the deceased told Morningstar News. 
he requested prayers from the Christian Union Fellowship. The friend, whose name is being withheld for security reasons, said that on April 14th, he heard screaming from a room on the school premises at about 10 p.m. After 30 minutes, I rushed to the scene of the incident and found out that it was Jeremiah's room, he said. Inside the room was a pool of blood. Mwanga had already been rushed to a medical clinic near the school, he said. Reaching the clinic, I was told by the medical personnel that he had been referred to Lyra or Lyra Regional Hospital, where he was pronounced dead upon arrival, he said. I found him lying in the hospital bed, dead. The friend requested he be given Mwanga's personal effects, including his mobile phone. Going through the phone, I found out that the threatening message was from a Muslim student who happened to come from that area also, he said. I then took the phone to the school administration who reported the matter to the police. The suspect uh, was missing from the school. Police in Lyra contacted officers at the area town police post who arrested him in the town. Uh, he was brought there uh, to face murder charges, the friend of the deceased said. The killing was the latest of many instances of persecution of Christians in Uganda that Morningstar News has documented. So basically, someone, his name is, I want to make sure I have this right, Jeremiah Mwanga, he died for sharing his faith. And I, I tell this story because I know there's a lot of Christian persecution in different parts of the country. The West has some of it, but not nearly as bad as other places in parts of Africa or the Middle East, China. Uh, so the reason why I talk about it is, is a little bit of a wake-up call. Friends, if we're not sharing the gospel now, and we live in Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee, Georgia, uh, the basically southern parts of the United States— where maybe there's cultural Christianity, maybe people go through the motions, but by and large, it's safe to be a Christian. If we're not sharing our faith now, are we going to do it when our lives are at stake? I don't think so. So, y'all, think about your friends, your family members, neighbors, whoever's in your life. If you are too scared to share your faith now when it's easy, when the stakes are low, what's going to happen if you're ever put into a more difficult situation when if you share your faith with a fellow student, worker, family member, friend, neighbor, it, it might cost you your life. You're not going to do it. I'll, I'll, I'll answer that right now. You're not going to do it. So I'm, I'm te I tell people because uh, I serve uh, in uh, campus ministries over at Wallace State Community College. We have a Bible study that meets weekly. I, I lead a, a, a apologetics Bible study, and uh, it also focuses on evangelism. And I, and I tell my students all the time, y'all, if we can't share our faith in the South, if we're too scared, nervous, afraid, on one hand, I, I get it. It can be a little nerve-wracking. But also, if we don't do it now, we're never going to do it. It's certainly not as the world, if the world gets darker 
it gets more violent if there's a price to be had a, a price to pay for sharing your faith we're not going to do it then i think about all the stories in the bible of persecution you think stephen the first martyr he was stoned you think of a lot of the original apostles uh, the the disciples the apostles most of them died for their faith you think about the prophets in the old testament everything they went through the isaiah's the jeremiah's and uh, let's see who else lots of persecution and acts friends we have it easy here share your faith tell people about jesus and i really do think it's that simple sometimes we overcomplicate it we overthink we're in our head well what if i accidentally uh, come across a phd astrophysicist rocket scientist that asks me some deep philosophical or scientific question i can't answer yes those people are out there but also we have christian experts scientists philosophers theologians that can answer questions from uh, some of the deepest questions you'll ever have from a christian perspective but most of the time we're not going to encounter people who are hardened atheists with multiple phds and uh, they ask some very difficult questions again there are answers to all questions i believe but most of the time we're going to bump into a neighbor going through a tough time a coworker who lost a family member a, a friend who's just struggling and that's not, not that's not to minimize what they're going through but but the 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 excuses we create what if they ask a question i don't know wonderful it's an opportunity for you to do some research for you to do some thinking but a lot of times it's just sharing jesus hey i i know jesus i love jesus he's done incredible things for me he's my hope my joy my rock he saved me when i could not save myself my best efforts my best works couldn't cut it they couldn't do it jesus who has washed away my sins he's my lord and savior tell people about your relationship with jesus that doesn't take multiple degrees in some fancy field what has jesus done for you who is jesus to you i don't want to just emphasize what jesus has done for you which he's done a lot but who is jesus himself who is God? What has God done for the world? Uh, you think about the gospel. When we were dead in our sins, we could not save ourselves. God saved us. And it's really that simple. So what are, what are our excuses? They seem mighty flimsy compared to Jeremiah Mwanga, a second-year student at the Uganda Christian School of Professionals in Lira, who died at 24 he was sharing his faith with uh, someone of a different religion all of a sudden our flimsy excuses they kind of fall apart like oh we're a little scared we're a little nervous well are you gonna die most of the times you're not there are rare exceptions so share your faith keep it simple can we explain the gospel message right now if i were to uh, record you again not to make you nervous but record you or just had a timer on you and say all right tell me what the gospel message could we do it in a couple minutes 
I think of uh, one conference I used to go to as an evangelism conference called Dare to Share. And they taught us the gospel acronym, G-O-S-P-E-L. And each letter stood for something. And I remember memorizing. I still have have it memorized to this day. And so when I share the gospel, that's what I use. G stands for God created us to be with him. All right. Why did God make the world? He made the world so that we could have a relationship with him. O, our sins separate us from God. But you look at all the evil things we do. Our sins, selfishness, greed, lying, envy, lust, murder. That separates us from God. Uh, S, sins cannot be repaid by good deeds. Well, we're in sin, but we try to create world religions as a way of earning our salvation by wiping our slate clean. But sins cannot be repaid by good deeds. It means that nothing we do can earn our salvation. Then you have P, paying the price for sin. Jesus died and rose again. That, that There's the core of the gospel message. Jesus Christ came to earth, lived the perfect life we could not, died on the cross for our sins, was buried, resurrected, and ascended. So that E, so now we're at the end, almost, everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. That's how you're saved. You believe and trust in Jesus Christ. Accept him as your Lord and Savior. So that L, life with Jesus, starts now and lasts forever. Life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. So there you go. That's the uh, gospel presentation in a couple minutes. I use the gospel acronym. It's online. I'd encourage you to use it right there. If you know those letters, G-O-S-P-E-L, you know the gospel. Friends, when we come back, we're going to talk about a troubling statement that Dennis Prager made about pornography. Now, I like Dennis Prager. I love, you know, what he started, Prager U, these helpful short videos. I think a lot of them are good. Not that I agree with everything, but I think it's handy and it's creative and it's catchy. I like Dennis Prager. But what he said about pornography was troubling. We'll talk about it on the other side of the break. This is WXJC Radio Priority Talk. We're on Mondays through Fridays, 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. Don't go anywhere. Priority Talk. Often marketing agencies make high promises with low delivery. Business owners have been burned by these types of companies time and time again. Dot Edison Marketing is built on integrity. They retain customers four times the industry average. Move past multiple vendors. Lost time, lost money. Contact Dot Edison Marketing and find your marketing partner with integrity at its core. Call them at 205-332-3728 or go to their website at DotEdison.com. I'm Lila Rose, president of Live Action and author of Fighting for Life, and you're listening to Priority Talk. This is Priority Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nate Williams. We have Andrew in the studio, and we've had a great show, friends. We're on, as I always say, Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. If you missed any of the show, make sure to check out our podcast, Priority Talk. It's on Apple, Spotify, and other 
carriers. So how am I going to close out this show? I'm going to close out this show by talking about Dennis Prager's troubling comments on pornography. Like I said before the break, I respect Dennis Prager. I think he's a great thinker. I love PragerU. Short little helpful videos on wide variety of topics. I, I think it's great. But then he had a recent conversation on pornography and Judaism that I thought was troubling. So I'll read you just some of the quotes and we'll talk about it. Uh, Men want variety, Prager said during a roundtable discussion hosted by The Daily Wire's Jordan Peterson, a clinical psychologist and author. Pornography, he went on to say, is not awful as long, uh, so long as it's used as a substitute for adultery. Prager, a practicing Jew, told Peterson and his fellow panelists that looking at a woman lustfully is not a sin in Judaism. So that kind of contrasts with Jesus's comment on sermon, uh, his uh, Jesus's words in Sermon on the Mount that like when we lust on the inside, it's the same thing as adultery. There's only one way to commit adultery in Judaism, and it's with a different organ, he explained, going on to say that when women call into his radio program to ask about their husband's pornography use, he asks if their consumption of the explicit content is impacting their sexual relationships. If adultery is a substitute for one's wife, it's awful, he said. If it's a substitute for adultery, it's not awful. And just basically, it's that's kind of sad automatically if you're using pornography whether you're married or not it's a substitute for sexuality uh, in in marriage and it's really sad uh, so this is from faith wire i'll read the next uh paragraph a semantical word salad there's hardly a way to parse the difference between prager's two explanations for pornography consumption Presumably, if a man is watching pornography because without it he would be committing adultery, then he is, by default, using it as a substitute for his wife. So that's what Prager said. Well, if you're going to, instead of committing ad adultery, you're going to watch porn, well, you're already using it as a substitution. And then Carl Truman writes an article for First, Thing First Things when he talks about this. It's an article titled, Dennis Prager's Troubling Defense of Pornography. It's just shallow because uh, there, there's some background stuff uh, that, you know, there's the objectification using women and, and men because uh, uh, women will watch pornography as well. There's the objectification of other people. Human trafficking is used in porn. I'm not saying all porn uh, content is used with uh, is uh, involves human trafficking, but the industry is heavily involved with it. The transformation of sex into something that is self rather than other directed. The reduction of the participants to instruments of pleasure for the spectators. Liza, so, so those are just some of the things that we always talk about with porn. All right, it objectifies men and women. It, uh, there, there's heavy involvement with the sex trafficking industry, which is awful and evil and wicked. But beyond that, it's it, it, there's, there's a philosophy behind porn that Carl Truman points out. The basic philosophy, philosophy, wow, that's a word. No, it's not. Lies a basic philosophy of life that sees me, my desires, and my fulfillment at the core of what it means to be human. 
Porn is thus part of a shift that manifests itself most obviously in sexual mores, but is far more comprehensive in its significance. Everyday language hints at this. There has been an interesting shift in English idiom over recent years from the language of making love to that of having sex. The former, which today may even sound a little quaint, speaks of an act that can only take place between two people who know and love each other and which has at its core the act of giving. And that's what sex is all about in marriage. You're giving yourself to the other person. It's supposed to be selfless. It's not selfish. It's not about me. It's not about my pleasure. Uh, it's all about the other person and that through the, the act of giving then you, you find fulfillment and satisfaction. It's other person centric. Porn says, no, 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 no relationship. You have no relationship with the woman or the man on the screen. You don't. It's all about your own satisfaction, your own pleasure. Porn is selfish. It's also, uh, now this doesn't come from Carl Truman, I don't think. I don't think. But uh, it's also a twisting of self-discipline. Think about it with desserts. Are you supposed to have desserts all the time? Ice cream, cake, uh, uh, snacks, chips, all those things. No, those are treats for every once in a while. But when you have those things all the time, what does that show? Well, that's gluttony. That is a lack of self-discipline. You're only occasionally supposed to say yes to treats. But what happens with porn when it's disconnected from relationships, there's no self-discipline. You say yes to um, the physical act of sex inside a marriage, but you can't always get that all the time. Whether it's because there are different drives, uh, sicknesses, illnesses, children, different life cir circumstances, uh, different things going on medically. You're not always able to say yes to the physical act of sex. So you have to, you have to practice self-discipline that then makes you a better person. Porn says, no, no, have these desserts all the time. Whenever you want, your desires come to rule you. Uh, the way I think uh, ancient Greek philosophy put it is like your appetites. Your appetites are your desires for sleep, eating, your, your sex drive, and you don't want your appetites to run your life. That's what happens when porn is unleashed. There's no self-discipline. There's no so saying no to the desserts. You can have it anytime, anytime you want. And just like with eating, if you eat all the time, 24-7, guess what you're going to do? You're going to gain weight. It's going to hurt your body. When you say yes to porn all the time, under any situation, any circumstance, you, guess what? You're also going to harm your body, your mind, your relationships, your marriage. And then even if you're unmarried and you're like, see, look, I'm unmarried. Who's it going to hurt? It's going to hurt the way you view the opposite sex. It will. You're going to view them as objects. And uh, let's see what else. He also had another comment on conservatism that I thought uh, that I thought was uh, really, really good. The conservatives the conservatism of Dennis Prager in this area that markets itself through sound bites and hot takes might work well as light entertainment on Twitter or YouTube, 
but it will really offer no deep diagnosis of our contemporary cultural problems. Nor will it do anything more constructive than triggering the libs while uh, reassuring the faithful to truly move forward conservatism needs people who think beyond the immediate symptoms of our current malaise and who can present a compelling vision of what it means to be truly human our problems lie at the level of the cultural imagination and the anthropology embedded therein it's a shame that prager seems to have missed the obvious that in a society that mainstreams pornography is a, is a society in crisis. Well, I agree. I agree. We can't let conservatism just get cheap and uh, not well thought out on what it means to be human. Friends, this is the uh, end of our show, heading towards the 7 o'clock hour. WXJC Radio, PriorityTalkRadio.com. Check out our website. Make sure to uh, text us at 205 941-1011 text us at that number 205-941-1011 what are your thoughts what are your comments what are your questions we read them all and we often answer as well sometimes we talk about it on the show this is nate williams uh, signing off we will be back tomorrow y'all drive safe be safe be praying be active in your local church and we will talk with you later oh, yeah.